0: It's good to see you all this morning. And uh, one, one kind of a, just a clarification on the envelope fundraiser it does do more than just camp. It, there's a lot of activities that go on throughout the year. And so those funds help us take care of a lot of other needs in addition to camp. And so I would encourage you um, uh, just continue to be generous to that. It's been awesome so far. And we thank you for that every year for partnering with us. Also, I want to give a little bit more of a clarity on this announcement next week, but I want to just share. Uh, this week, that we're going to be bringing an intern in from Dallas. i got a friend that's a a pastor of a church down there uh, by Rowlett, and he's in an internship, and there's a a gentleman there that's been in an internship for about a year, and as a part of that, we've encouraged them to send him off to another church. That'd be us, and uh, let us uh, just bless him for a while and continue that internship, but it'd also be a blessing to us as well. Um, His name's Parker, and we'll be giving you a little bit more information about that next week, but he doesn't know anybody in the Panhandle of Texas, and so it's going to be up to us to make him feel at home and welcome and uh, he's from the dfw airport or air area so he's going to be in for a shock when he comes to the panhandle texas so we got to we got to smooze him with the the smiles and the hospitality right okay do the best you can we'll, we'll leave the rest <laughs> up to god <clears throat> luke chapter 18 we've been a series I, I hate to call it a series because they're not really connected there's a theme of these encounters with jesus and we've been looking at these since the beginning of the year encounters with Jesus, the many different people that Jesus encountered and the lives that were impacted as a result of that. And we've noticed that as we look at each one of these encounters, we learn more about who Jesus is. He reveals certain truths uh, that if, especially if you remove yourself from 2000 or 2024 and you go back to the original time it was, it was shared, like, these are just huge truth bombs that Jesus is revealing um, to us. In Scripture, and then to see the impact that it had on everyone's life. Uh, Today, the the title of the message is The Ultimate Question, as we focus on Jesus' encounter with the rich ruler. And so I want to jump right into Luke chapter 18, verse 18, I want to read uh, through verse 30. So hopefully you'll join with me as we read. Once a religious leader asked Jesus this question, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely and honor your father and mother. The man replied, I've obeyed all of these commandments since I was young. Verse 22, when Jesus heard his answer, he said, there's still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But when the man heard this, he became very sad, for he was very rich. When Jesus saw this, he said how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this said, then who in the world can be saved? He replied, what is impossible for people is possible with God. Peter spoke up. He says, we've left our homes to follow you. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will be repaid many times over in this life and will have eternal life in the world to come. Would you pray with me? Father, this is your word. We receive it as truth. And as we look at what is the ultimate question uh, today on eternity, and eternal life, I pray that you would open our eyes, let us behold the truth from your word. And God, that we would just be sensitive to what you might be speaking to us today. And I humbly ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The ultimate question. I heard the story years ago. Maybe you've heard it as well. In fact, I've shared it here before. It was a story of a church that was putting on a vacation Bible school. And they were real excited about it. And so, uh, as they're building up to that special day, they're getting everybody prepared. And they have this school bus. It's a, it's a church bus. And they're going through the community in just different neighborhoods, picking up kids and taking them to VBS, Vacation Bible School. And so the bus driver, he's excited, he's into it, and he pulls up to this group of kids and he says, hey, do you want to go to heaven? Get in. And all the kids just like laughing and they pile in the bus and they go down the road and they come into another group, same thing, same story. And finally they get to this group of kids and he says, hey, do you want to go to heaven? Get in. And everybody gets in except for one young man. The young man's just standing there and then the guys look at him and says, if you want to go to heaven, get in. The man's kind of got this concerned look on his face, kind of like you looking at me right now, by the way, but he's shaking his head, and the guy goes, wait, you mean to tell me that you don't want to go to heaven when you die? The young boy had this sigh of relief, like, oh, okay, yeah, I want to go to heaven when I die. I just thought you were gathering a group to take now. (laughs) The idea is this, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go right now. In fact, I think there's a country song about that. As we look at these encounters with Jesus, we've seen the lives that have been impacted. And today we look at this rich man, this rich man that has the encounter with Jesus. And Luke records what I believe is the ultimate question. You hear me say it all the time from this pulpit, the most important decision that we can make is to, to place our faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In this context, we have Luke's re- re- record of this man approaching Jesus and asking this question about eternal life. Now, chances are this is not something that you wake up every morning thinking about, but most of us have, at least it's crossed our minds. In fact, we did a funeral yesterday. We've done a few over the past few weeks. And, you know, the the, the thing about that is it's a perfect opportunity to remind us of the brevity of life and just how fragile life is. How many agree life is fragile? And so it's in that context that sometimes it just helps us to come face to face with the reality of death. We're like, you know what? I'm not going to live forever. The older I get, the more I'm seeing this. And so it makes us consider life after this life to take our focus for a moment off of the things going on around us and look at eternity. And so many people have questions about that. In fact, Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, he recorded this in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. He said, it is better to go to a house of mourning Than to go to a house of feasting another way of putting that it's better to go to a funeral than to a party And he says the reason for that is because death is the destiny of every man and the living should take it to heart They should think about it. So it's good for us To face this reality. It's good for us to come to that crossroads in our life where we ask ourselves the ultimate question What do I need to do? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, there are different religions all around the world, and many of them have their own version of what eternity looks like, or life after death, or what it looks like to obtain that. For instance, in Islam, they have the five pillars of faith. These are five things that they're required to do before they die in order to reach whatever's their target, where they're going. Um, And so one of those is a, a pilgrimage to Mecca. And so one point in their life they have to physically make the trip, the trek to Mecca in order to worship Allah. And if they don't do that, they can, they can pay somebody else to do it on their behalf, but there's these five things that they have to do in order to you know, be in the life after this, this, this life. And so others believe in reincarnation. Most of the religions though, this is the one thing they have in common. It's always about something you have to do, say do. And so, there's always something that you have to do, something you have to accomplish, hence the the word works. You have to work at it in order to obtain this life after death. Some people have said it this way it's like you get this box, and we're in the box. And and religion is man's attempt to get out of the box, right? We're trying to reach eternity, and and we have this religion that says if you do this, if you, you do this, this, and this, then you can get out of the box. The beauty of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. He got in the box with us. Aren't you glad? He got in the box with us. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for our sins. He purchased our, our freedom. And that's what we call the good news. And so the difference between Christianity, the gospel, and all of these other religions is this. It's not what you do, but it's who you know. It's a faith in what he's done, Jesus, in the gospel. So we're not saved by works, but we're saved by faith. It's a gift that he gives to us. In fact, consider this, Galatians chapter 2, verse 16 says, Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we've obeyed the law. He says it again. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. Another one that we're very familiar with, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we do, so none of us can boast about it. Can you imagine one day we're in heaven, And you ask somebody else, how did you get here? Well, you know, I was a good person. I did all this good work, and I gave money to the church, and I served every time the opportunity came up. I mean, we'd be able to brag about how we got to heaven. Paul says, hey, no one can brag about it. It's the gift of God. It is not by works. That's what Christianity is. And so the context here, just to kind of get us in the middle of the story, this is what's called the travel narrative. And it begins in chapter 9, verse 51, when it says Jesus knew his time to ascend was near." He resolutely set his mind to Jerusalem. He's like, I've got a mission. You know what the mission was? I've got a mission. And it says he resolutely set his mind to go to Jerusalem. He knew that the cross was uh, awaiting him. And so the travel narrative begins back in chapter 9. It goes all the way to 19 and about 41. And throughout this travel narrative, all through the story, over and over again, it says as Jesus continued on his journey to Jerusalem, Jesus was on a mission And that mission was to go to Jerusalem to fulfill his purpose. But about his purpose, let's just be reminded quickly, at the beginning when Jesus steps up, he opens the scroll of Isaiah and he reads from it this word, "...the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has appointed me to bring good news to the poor." He has sent me to proclaim the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. When he finished reading that, he rolled it up, he handed it back, and he says, the scriptures you've just heard have been fulfilled this very day. Jesus said, that's my mission. I come to open the blinds, eyes. I come to set the captive free. I come to share the good news. Amen. Aren't you glad for the gospel? Chapter 19, verse 10, he said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. And so Luke's goal is to just show us, to unpack, if you will, the mission of Jesus. And throughout the travel narratives, you see over and over Jesus just doing that, opening the eyes of the blind, setting the captive free. And and, and as he's presenting to them this idea of the kingdom of God and the rejection or the reception of that message. And there will be people that will receive that message, with joy, and it'll change their lives. And there'll be people like this man that we read about a moment ago that will tragically reject that message. And so here's another thing that we need to see. Back in their day, the idea was the religious people, the ones that deserved eternity, were probably the Pharisees and those people that were heavily involved in the law. And Jesus is gonna show us, Luke's gonna reveal through these encounters with Christ that he's letting people like beggars in, the outcast of society, he's letting in tax collectors. Who lets the IRS in, right, to heaven? But I mean, he lets those guys in ahead of the spiritual elite, ahead of the Pharisees. And so we see the responses to the message of the kingdom of God. So that's kind of the the background, if you will, of what's going on. And so this man that encounters Jesus on this day, he stands in contrast with many of the others whose lives were impacted in their encounter with Jesus. So who was the man? He doesn't have a name, uh, but we know from, it's found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the story of this rich man. He's a religious leader. He's a rich ruler, and we know that he's morally upright. He's a good man, and we find that out later in the text when he's obeying all these commands. Now, Mark's version of the same story says that this man came running up to Jesus, and he knelt down, and so there's religious person, this ruler, this rich man, runs to Jesus, kneels down and asks this very, very significant question. But he begins with this salutation, good teacher. Now, normally they would say rabbi, but this man either was trying to flatter Jesus or he acknowledged that God's hand was on Jesus. And he acknowledged, you must be good because God is with you and you're doing all these miracles. So good teacher. And then he asked the question, "What, what should I do to inherit eternal life. What do I need to do? He's got everything, he's rich, but what do I gotta do to get that eternal life? Well, Jesus responds uh, by first talking about who's good and who's not good in verse 19, he says, why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Now I like this because some scholars say this is an indirect way that Jesus is pointing to his deity. John's very clear that Jesus is God in the flesh. In this case, Luke is saying, why do you call me good? Why why are you calling me good? Because there's no one good except God alone. And so it stands the reason that this man is acknowledging in Jesus, you're good. And if God is the only one that's good, then Jesus, you are fill in the blank for me, church. You're God, right? And so it's an indirect pointing to his deity. Um, If Jesus is good, then he must be God. And so he answers that first. And then chapter 20 or verse 20, he begins to answer and unpack this man's question. So how, the ultimate question, how do I Inherit eternal life. Jesus first takes them back to the Ten Commandments, the moral code of the day. Exodus chapter 20, Ten Commandments. The first four deal with man's relation to God. Don't have any other gods before me. Don't make any graven images that you're going to worship, right? Don't take my name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That's the first four of the Ten Commandments. And the last six deal with man's relationship to other people. And so Jesus brings this man to the commands because the commands are like a mirror, if you will, a litmus test of what is good, what is acceptable. And so he's like, hey, you know the commands? Just go to the commands. What does it say? Mark says, keep these commands. And so Jesus quotes to him the seventh, the sixth, the eighth, the ninth, and the fifth commands in that order. And he says, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and your mother. Jesus takes him to the law. Verse 21 says, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Now, I don't know if that was kind of a cocky and arrogant or confident or just a humble response. Like, Jesus, I've not done any of those things. I've honored those commands. And so he was a good man. Can I ask you a serious question this morning, church? How good is good enough? Because this man was pretty good. He was a religious leader. He was rich. And in their day, to be rich was a sign of favor from God. He's morally upright. He's he's told Jesus, I've kept these since my youth. I'm a good man. But how good is good enough? And then Jesus takes him to an obscure obscure way to the 10th command about coveting. And it looks like this. Jesus said, Mark, by the way, says Jesus felt genuine love for the man as he responds to him. When Jesus heard this, he said, there's still one thing you haven't done. Sell all of your possessions and give the money to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven then come follow me. That's a pretty significant response there, but since when the man heard this, he became very sad because he was very rich. Now, the 10th commandment is thou shalt not covet. Covet was to desire. It's the, like the need to, to acquire gone haywire. It's to covet stuff, to covet other people's stuff. And this man obviously had a lot of stuff. And so for him to get rid of it was a pretty significant deal. And at this crossroads where the the, the commandments were given to bring conviction, it would have been easy for this man to say, you know what, I've got these neighbors around me that are in need and I've got all this stuff and I've violated the greatest command. Help me out, church. What's the greatest command? To love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and the second one is equal to it. What is it? Yeah, that one. That one right there. Love your neighbor as yourself. And this man in this moment would have realized that, that hey, you know what, I'm not honoring the, the, the greatest command And so when Jesus says to give it money, he's not saying that having money and having possessions is wrong. Abraham was very rich. Job was rich after he recovered everything, right? It's not about that, but it's it's more about what has a hold of you. And this man was not in control of that. It was, to him, it was kind of like a God, his possessions, his money, something he wanted to hold on to. And so to get rid of that would reveal his heart. And he didn't really want the kingdom of God or eternity, eternal life, as much as he originally thought he did. And so it says the man was very sad because he was very rich. Now next week we're going to look at Zacchaeus. Another rich man with a completely different response. And so the idea is it's not about being rich. But it's, it's, in this case for this man it's about that's a stumbling block for him. To follow Jesus, to, to give it all there and say, Jesus, I'm following you. I want to inherit eternal life. Whatever it takes to have that kind of mentality, this man responds. And tragically, you see the picture of the, the religious leaders and, and how many of them would hear the same message and they would reject that message of the gospel. Yet on the other side, he's welcoming in sinners, tax collectors, beggars, the outcasts of society that respond joyfully to the gospel message. And so Jesus gives us this little response that has always perplexed to people for years. I remember the first time I heard it, I'm like, Mom, what does that mean? Jesus says, how hard is it for rich to enter the kingdom of God? In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And so to explain this, scholars for years have said, well, there's this gate in uh, Jerusalem that's like the eye of the needle. It's just a little narrow passageway, and they'd have to unpack a camel in order for the camel to get through the eye of the needle. I can't find anything to, to prove that, and plus, why wouldn't you just go to another big gate where you could take the, the camel through it, right? And so others have said, well, it was the scribes. The scribes, when they were uh, looking at the original text and they were copying that, they might have miscopied it. It was camel, but it should have been rope because they made ropes out of camel hair, right? so maybe it should have been the rope going through the eye of the needle that's still pretty impossible right the problem with that theory is Matthew Mark and Luke all accidentally misquoted that verse I think Jesus meant what he said it's called hyperbole Jesus was making a statement of how difficult how impossible with man eternal life is and that's a lesson that we all need to understand that with man It is impossible. The impossibility of salvation if it all relies on us. Do you hear me, church? Impossible. Harder for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they respond, which I think I would have done the same thing, Jesus, then who in the world can be saved if it's that hard? Who can be saved? And he gives us this beautiful, hey, listen, it is impossible with man. And church, I want you to know, that eternal life, that gaining, obtaining eternal life is impossible with man. That's what we get religion from. And religion's always going to tell you how to do it, but it just can't do it. On my best day, church, on my best day, I'm not good enough. Just ask my wife. She'll be happy to tell you. Right? My righteousness is like filthy rags compared to him. There's the standard, and that standard is so high that I'll never, ever be able to hit that standard. It is impossible with man to ever be good enough in order to obtain or inherit eternal life. With man, this is impossible. But here's the good news, with God, it is possible. Now now consider this for a moment. We're reading this from our perspective. We've got Genesis through Revelation. Aren't you glad we have the complete scriptures? So we get the big picture. In their perspective, this man is approaching Jesus who has not gone to the cross yet. He's not died for the sins of the world yet. Paul's not come along to explain that, that the gospel, the mystery of the gospel through what Jesus has accomplished. So from their perspective, Jesus is dropping this huge truth bomb to this rich man. He's like, hey, listen, you can't do enough. To inherit eternal life with man it's impossible but the good news is with God it is possible and we know the rest of the story that Jesus the perfect sinless sacrifice the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world came he lived a perfect life he got in the box with us he lived a perfect life he went to the cross he paid for your sins and my sins and the sins of the whole world that my church my friends is good news right with, with God, this is possible. And we would see, again, the, the contrast between Zacchaeus and the next chapter, another rich man who did respond in the positive and received salvation. And so, what can we grab from this? Well, let me, let me continue on. I like Peter, because Peter's always the one to, to speak up. I love Peter for that. We learn a lot of cool things because Peter probably had a big mouth or he was quick to respond Peter notices what Jesus has told this man about selling his possessions, giving the poor and following him. And Peter's going, <clears throat> we did that. We've given up everything, Jesus, to follow you. And I love Jesus and his tenderness to Peter because he could have been like, shut up, Peter, I'm not talking about you right now. But he, he responds with like assurance to Peter. He says, yes, and I assure you. That everyone who has given up house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will be repaid many times over in this life and will have eternal life in the world to come. The ultimate question, how do I receive this eternal life? How do I acquire it? How do I inherit eternal life? Here's the takeaway for me. Again, the context from this man's perspective, Jesus is revealing to him a truth that we all know because we have the complete scriptures. But what this encounter reveals to us, Jesus' reasoning is clear. And here it is. One must keep the law perfectly to inherit eternal life. In fact, Mark says that. Keep the commands and you'll live. I mean, if you could do it. But here's the thing. Nobody can do it. When Jesus said, no one is good except God alone, that was the key. He's like, hey, no one can do it. No one's good enough. On your best day, you may think you are, but you're not good enough with, man, it's impossible. And so he's saying, you would have to keep it perfectly to inherit eternal life. Here's the problem, James chapter two, verse 10 says, for the person who keeps all of the laws, say all. So look, there's 10 laws, right? The moral laws. And for the person who could keep all the laws, except one, that's like nine good, one bad, is guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. Can you imagine the weight of like, man, I've got nine out of the 10, ah, the 10th one got me, right? Or, I'm trying so hard, this man had five, he was a good man. He was a good man, and I'm sure he was okay on the first four as well. But James says, if you fail at one of them, you're guilty of failing all of them. So the point is, because no one is perfect, no one is truly righteous except Christ alone, therefore nobody can obtain eternal life by following the law. Nobody. Now, I was raised in some churches that taught that. No, we believe in faith. We we trust in God by faith, but by golly, you better do this or don't do that. And there was a lot of emphasis put on faith plus works. And and I just want to tell you that if that's the way you want to approach the gospel, um, I'm not always on my best behavior. And so if it takes works for me to obtain it, it's going to take works for me to keep it. And I'm not that good, church. And I got news for you. Neither are you. Amen? Amen. So the only course of action left for this man, an individual, to follow Jesus is to follow Jesus in order to obtain eternal life. I want to read Paul's perspective in Romans 3 and then again in Galatians as it it relates to the law. Because the law was everything to them. Like if you just follow the law, that's the moral code. This is how you're made right with God. And if you just do this, you'll live. And so here's what Paul says about that. For everyone is sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us Right. In his sight, He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Remember Jesus came to set the captive free. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in the present time. We know it as Jesus going to the cross. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness for he himself is fair and just and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. Can I, can I ask you a question, church? It, which is the good news? That if you could cross all the T's and dot all the I's and hit everything perfect, and if you could live like that and obtain eternity, that's good news. That's not good news. That's not good news because we're gonna fail at some point or rather would it be, you know what, you weren't good enough, but there was someone who was. And I would say this just as an aside. The people that would say that Jesus gave up his, uh, his deity while he was on the earth and he died just as a human being then what point was there to that? Because if he was just a man that died on the cross, he's just another man that died. But if he was, in fact, the only begotten son of God, the sinless, perfect sacrifice, he was the sufficient payment for you and my sin. Amen? That's, that's the good news, right? That's good news. And so he says, hey, listen, that's, that's how we obtain this eternal life is through belief in Jesus. We couldn't, but with God, this is possible through the gospel. That's good news, the good news. And so, again, in Galatians, Paul's talking about this. And there's tons in here that he talks about with uh, the law. He says, we've believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ. Not because we've obeyed the law, for no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. Again, he says, is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. You hear me say this in this church forever. I've said all the time, the most important decision that you and I can make in this life is what do you do with the gospel of Jesus Christ? More important than where you're gonna live, where you're gonna to go to school, who you're gonna marry, what your career is gonna be, the money, the possessions, more important than all those things is what do you do with Jesus? Because as we see in this travel narrative of Luke's account of the gospel, there will be those that will hear Jesus' message of the kingdom and they will reject it, and there will be those who hear it and gladly receive it. And the question this morning is, have you placed your faith in the gospel? Have you considered that ultimate question in your own life? I'm not talking about everybody else's life. But just in the stillness of the night, between you and God, what do I have to do to obtain this eternal life? And I got good news for you. It's not about what you do. It's about what he's already done. Amen? And so here's our part. I used to call it the ABCs. Admit that I'm a sinner. I got news for you. You're all sinners. But so am I. Right? Right? And so to admit, you know what, I fall short. I'm not capable of fulfilling all the do's and the don'ts, the laws. And this man probably should have seen the same thing. He's like, you know what, boom, you got me the 10th one right there. I'm guilty. I admit it. I failed there. And if, if this is the litmus test for getting into heaven or to have eternal life, and I'm, I'm not hitting it. And for us to get to the point in our life where we go, you know what? I'm not good enough, my mom and dad weren't good enough, the church that I grew up in wasn't good enough. They could bury me under the pulpit of this church. It would be weird, but they could bury me under the pulpit of the church. It's not going to be enough to put me in a right standing before God on that day. To admit that I am a sinner and I fall short, but to believe, to believe in the gospel. Can I ask you a question? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe he's the son of God? Do you believe he came to the earth and died on the cross for our sins? I mean, I believe in Jesus. I see testimony and and, and, and proof of it in people's lives every, every day. I believe in Jesus. I believe that he came to do what we couldn't do. He paid the absolute total penalty for our sins and his death on the cross. That's the good. I believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So then we're at a crossroads. What do I do? The Bible says, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. He says he's no respecter of persons. He's willing that none should perish, but all will come to repentance through Jesus, right? And so, you know what? To acknowledge that I'm not good enough to get into heaven on my own. I never will be good enough because it's impossible with man. But what's impossible with man is possible with God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so some think, Shane, that's just too easy. That's too easy. I didn't, write the, I didn't write the story. I didn't write this good news. I'm just proclaiming it. And it is good news. And I'm telling you that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Confess Jesus as Savior and Lord. I love the word Lord. And I know that some people hang up with this. Like, I want to go to heaven when I die, but I want to be in control of everything in my life. No, that's not how that works. Lord means master. It means he's the one that's in control. It's like I've been driving and I've had my hands on the steering wheel of my life for 50 plus years or whatever, and I come to that crossroads where I say, Jesus, I'm I'm handing over the steering wheel. I want you to take control. I want you to lead me. Where he leads, I will follow. You know the old song? To, To be the Lord of your life means like, you know what, I'm not in control any longer. I want you to take control. Obviously, he knows better, right? I'm trusting you to save me, and I want you to direct me in this life, and just simply follow him. The only course that Jesus is revealing to this man and to us the only course of action left, if you can't obtain it by the law or by being perfect with man's rules and man's achievements, the only action left for an individual is to follow Jesus in order to obtain eternal life. So I'll ask it again, what must I do? What must I do? Maybe you've already asked that question. Maybe you've already answered that question to the gospel. Maybe you've already placed your faith in the gospel, the most important decision you'll ever make. But chances are there's somebody here and they're like, man, I just, I'm still wrestling with this stuff still struggle with that i just don't know had a conversation with a gentleman this week to receive the news that he's got a, a disease that's going to end in death and i love this guy and it just my natural response was do you have questions as a pastor i mean i got i gotta ask do you have questions because i'm sure you do we all have questions amen and so there, there are seasons in life when you're, you're going through stuff and it just makes you kind of go face to face with them, like, God, I just, I just need to know. I got good news and the good news is you can have that assurance and that confidence that once you trust in Jesus and Jesus alone, that you can receive eternal life and that you can, like Paul said, the apostle Paul says, I know, I know whom I have believed in and I'm persuaded, I'm convinced that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him against that day. That's assurance, amen? Do you have that assurance today? If you don't, I would just say that today is the day of salvation. If you've never placed your faith in the gospel, I'm asking you, I'm begging you today, the most important decision you can make. If the Holy Spirit's kind of knocking on your door and you're feeling like, mm, this is, has this is hit me, man, respond to that. Respond to him and celebrate this, this good news, receive this good news, and have that hope, have that confidence and that assurance of eternal life. The ultimate question, isn't it? It really is. The ultimate question, what do I gotta do to obtain or to inherit eternal life? And I would say it's as easy as believing that Jesus, and believing is, is, is much further than just the head knowledge, right? We believe things. The Bible says that the demons believe in Jesus and they shudder with fear. So it's not just a head knowledge, but it goes from there to just this, this trust. that the, the word is pistevo, and it means to rely on, to trust. It's like I'm putting all of my, my weight on this news of Jesus. It's like I'm, I'm putting all of my hope in Jesus and Jesus alone. And if we're wrong there, then we're just wrong 100% on Jesus. But I don't think we're wrong, church. I put it all on Jesus. And I'm trusting that he can do what I couldn't do. And with God, it is absolutely possible. And that is good news. Amen? Father, I thank you for your good news. I thank you for oh, just, just this big love story that we read in your scripture, how you love humanity so much that you weren't willing to leave us in our condition of being lost and with no hope, no hope of ever being rescued or forgiven or in your presence one day. And so you made a way. You did for us what we could not do for ourselves, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for his mission. I thank you for his willingness to seek and to save those who are lost, and he's still in that business today. I thank you for his willingness to stay steadfastly. He set his mind resolutely on going to Jerusalem because he knew what his goal was, and Lord, he didn't back out. Thank you that he fulfilled his mission and accomplished what we couldn't do and obtained salvation for those who believe. God, I pray that there not be one person in this room today that has not nailed that down in their life, that everyone here has placed their hope in the gospel. Father, if there's someone here today that's not done that, then just between you and them, Lord, that you would work on them. And maybe it'll prompt a phone call. It'll prompt a response after the service is over. Lord, that you would just move in our hearts, help us to get to know you a little bit more today, and grow a little more in our faith today. We humbly ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.